Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here in the studio, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Today's a little bit different, and actually, over the next couple of months, we're going to throw in a few what we call in between episodes. We're hoping that these in between episodes will give you a little bit more of a glimpse into our lives and maybe some of the things that drive us. So, today, I want to share with you about my journey to working for this ministry. Here I am, standing in front of an immigration official in North Africa, a bag full of Bibles with no hope other than prayer to get me through the border crossing. And my job on this occasion? To make a successful delivery of Bibles to the suffering church, predominantly Muslim background believers. Had someone told me many years ago that I'd be a Bible smuggler, I can assure you that my response would have been to move away slowly and call the police. But how on earth did I find myself here? Well, that story starts a long time before this. My name is Mike Gore. I was born on January the 21st, 1981 in Madras, India. As a child, my biological mother, who had fallen pregnant with me out of wedlock, abandoned me at birth. I was placed into an orphanage. However, due to the caste system in India, I was unable to be adopted, as I was deemed what you call an untouchable. During my time in the orphanage, one of the nurses really developed a fondness towards me, and one night she grabbed me and smuggled me across a city border to a neighbouring city, Bangalore, where she bribed some nuns with cash to say that I was dumped on their doorstep, which would mean my birth certificate could read a different city, my caste could be changed, and ultimately, my life story written. To this day, my passport and birth certificate both read as though I were born in Bangalore and not Madras. The change in location of my birth allowed me to be adopted under that city's law. In 1977, four years before I was born, a family in Australia applied for an adoption. But over several years of negotiation, they'd only ever heard bits and pieces, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, but nothing concrete. In fact, in 1981, they decided to give up on the adoption, and as a way of clearing the air and moving on in life, they used the money they had saved for an adoption on a holiday to America with their two biological daughters. However, When they returned from their trip to America, they received a phone call saying the adoption had gone through and their son would be arriving at the weekend. This presented two fairly significant problems. Firstly, they no longer had the money for an adoption and secondly, they were not ready to accept a brand new member into their family. This couple was a strong Christian family that decided to pray fervently and the next day, my mum was driving a car and had a car crash. She wrote the car off without a scratch or a bruise to her or her daughters and then three days later, the day before I arrived, she told me it was a miracle because the insurance money was back in her bank account but more than that, it was to the exact dollar that was needed to pay for the adoption. As I look back on this, I can't help but see the hand of God and his plan on calling me out of that country, a country of, in present day, 1.4 billion people. God chose me. You know, it reminds me a lot of Jeremiah's words where he says, The Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
I grew up in Sydney, Australia and was the only black kid in school until I was about 16. I experienced a fair bit of racism but always had a group of strong friends and family that proved to be a huge help in dealing with those kind of identity experiences. I remember on one occasion, I must have been about six or seven years old, at walking across the school playground when a girl walked up to me from my sister's years, about two years older than me. She walked over, she called me a black mother and spat all over me. From memory, I think I just ran home. But I can assure you from that moment on, both my sisters and my neighbours had my back. The other defining part of my childhood was church. It gave me a place where people didn't look at me differently. They didn't treat me differently. They simply accepted me as part of the Gore family. And looking back, this was instrumental in helping me form identity. I'll be forever grateful for that church and the church family. And to this day, I have some very dear friends from those years in my life. After school, I started a psychology degree. I only ended up doing one year of that before I began full-time work in the Christian music and retail world, where I spent 10 years working in Christian music, film, and marketing. In 2009, I left the music world with the desire to work for a not-for-profit. I was surprised when my sister called me and told me about a role with an organisation called Open Doors. I checked it out online and proceeded to apply for the youth manager role and also a role working with churches. I went to interviews for both, but unfortunately, they believed I was overqualified for the youth role and underqualified for the church role. To my surprise, a week or so later I received a call back from Open Doors who told me their first choice for the youth manager had said no and asked if I was still interested. I eagerly said yes, not knowing anything about the persecuted church. Not exactly a glamorous start to my time with the ministry, but I quickly learned that it's not always about the heavens opening and angels singing, it's about learning what humble obedience truly means. And so in 2009 I joined the ministry of Open Doors as their youth manager and... That's where my life changed forever. Open Doors was started in 1955 by a Dutch gentleman called Brother Andrew, who was catapulted to relative fame when he wrote the book God Smuggler, which I believe to this day has sold more than 18 million copies. I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Brother Andrew, and hearing his passion for God and the suffering church has turned my understanding of God on its head. I started today's story with me standing at immigration in North Africa. It was my first trip with a ministry, a solo trip. Basically, you have no help. It's just you in country meeting with contacts. It was my first ever trip to the Middle East and I was totally underprepared for what I had come to expect on most trips, especially the spiritual and physical persecution. Reading over my notes as I prepared for this story today, I was shocked at the amount of opposition I had before the trip. I'd totally forgotten that the day of my trip, I had not yet received my passport back from the country's embassy. So not only did I not have a visa, I didn't have a passport. The CEO of Open Doors Australia at the time said to me, just trust in the Lord. And so I booked a flight to Canberra, took a taxi straight to the embassy and knocked on the door. I was let into a waiting area, but was told that the ambassador didn't like being pressured and would not be issuing me the visa that day. As I sat there waiting, a lovely lady came in and she said to me, well, just wait here. A few minutes later, the lady returned with my passport in hand. She looked at me and she said, here it is, now go. As she handed me my passport, she whispered to me, God bless. Is this woman a believer? I have no idea to this day, but it's exactly the word she said to me. She then hurried me to the door and put me into a waiting taxi. 
I returned to the airport, flew back to Sydney and went straight to the international terminal to catch my flight. It was a stressful morning. The trip also coincided with my mum being diagnosed with cancer and rushed into surgery. Again, her surgery was scheduled for the day I would land in North Africa. Needless to say, it was a tough introduction to working with the persecuted church. Come back with me to North Africa for a moment. You see, we've just landed on the last person off the plane and the last person through immigration. I remember walking up to the immigration window and being face to face with a staunchly Islamic immigration official. They had a large machine gun strapped over the shoulder and I spoke no French or Arabic and was carrying 80 Bibles wrapped in bundles of four to five, covered in gift wrapping, littered throughout my luggage. To me, they looked like more like parcels of drugs and presents. Needless to say, I was a little worried. The immigration official looked at my passport and said, Michel. And I responded, no, 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 Michael. He said, Michel. And I said, no, Michael. And throwing me my passport, he says, you show me, Michael. I pointed to my name and he says, Michel. I said, sure, Michel. He stamped my passport and I proceeded to security. Security on this case was a single conveyor and x-ray machine. Every single bag was being scanned and there were four guards sitting behind the desk looking at the screen. I placed my bag onto the conveyor and remember thinking to myself, I'm done. What do I do? At that moment, I remembered a prayer Brother Andrew used to pray called the Smuggler's Prayer. And it would simply say every time he was taking Bibles across the border, you make blind eyes see, now I need you to make seeing eyes blind. And so, in the heat of the moment, I thought to myself, I guess I'll give that a go. I closed my eyes and, and prayed the prayer quickly as my bag sort of passed through the conveyor and not a word he said and I picked my bags up on the other side and continued to walk towards the terminal. As I'm just about to enter the terminal, I see the last security check but this time it's two large silver trestle tables, one on either side of the walkway to the terminal and once again every person is lined up with each bag being inspected. I thought to myself, there is just no way I'm going to get out of this one. I prayed and felt the Lord say, well, just walk straight through. And so I proceeded to walk straight down the middle of the two tables, through the automatic doors and into the terminal. There were five guards who all watched me walk by and didn't say a word. It was like I was invisible or something. Just amazing. Once into the terminal, I had instructions that if I had made it that far, I was to look for someone standing on the back wall of the terminal. I would make eye contact with them, show no emotion, and we would leave through separate doors and meet in the car park. I remember looking around the terminal and making eye contact with a person on the back wall. We didn't express emotion, but instinctively, I knew that this was the person I was meant to meet. We left through separate doors, and I followed at a distance as we made our way to a random car in the car park. Once there, we exchanged few words and then jumped into the car. The moment I got into the car, it was like stress levels went down about 10 notches, and we were able to chat with much greater ease. We drove out of the airport and went through three bomb searches as we left the airport. On the way to our hotel, our contact mentioned to me that they usually have travellers stay at a safe house used by the ministry. But just before I arrived, the house received a phone call from a man wanting to meet with them. They went to the meeting, and it was a staunchly Islamic man, known to be locally involved in terrorism. Our contact was really scared by this, and didn't think it was safe for me to stay there anymore. He said to me, Therefore, we have put you in a hotel downtown, but you're on lockdown because of risk of kidnapping for ransom. He went on to say to me, you look okay, knowing I was from India and had dark skin. He said, just don't open your mouth because your accent will give it away. 
You know, it's funny how being born in India and now working a lot in the Middle East, my skin colour seems to come in handy a lot. Once we were out of the airport and on our way, we decided to take a trip to a beautiful Catholic church that provided a great viewpoint of the city and was a well-known tourist attraction. We walked around the church grounds, speaking about life, God and the difficulties believers face in this country, and we then decided to go into the church. And as we did, there was a local man there speaking in Arabic, with great passion, almost verging on anger. Our contacts were shocked, as this man was preaching the gospel publicly and basically telling the mainly Muslim visitors about Jesus. While we were there, police came in, grabbed him and dragged him away. This was my first insight into persecution. And it was full on. We headed back to the hotel and I settled in for the first night, trying to process all that had happened in the last 24 hours. Part of me wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. Part of me was loving the experience and part of me was terrified. Little did I know that the next three days would be among the most transformative of my life. Thanks for listening to this in between episode by Open Doors Live. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.